I read this article this week by a, a guy who pastors a church in Southern California. His name is Bill White. And he said this as part of his article. Recently, while inching along in traffic, I saw two men in conversation on the sidewalk. One man was seated on a box at the end of a freeway off-ramp. He was gray-haired, tired-looking, and he held a cardboard sign with a message written in an unsteady hand that said, please help. The other individual was a Latino man. They shared a brief exchange, and the Latino man walked away. As I slowly drove by the spot where the man in need sat on the box, I caught a glimpse of the younger Latino man walking down the street, and I immediately recognized his gait. It was Juan, an immigrant who attends the church where I pastor. I pulled over, rolled down the window, and asked Juan if he needed a ride. No, my car is right there, he said, pointing in its direction. Confused, I asked, well, what are you doing walking down the freeway? I just stopped to pray with that man and get him some food, Juan said. Wow, I said, and then I drove off, moved by Juan's generosity. I found out later that day that Juan has stopped before for the old man, a member of the church choir once witnessed Juan literally take the shirt off his back, a shirt his wife had just given him for Christmas, and give it to the man. Needless to say, it didn't take long to realize that Jesus was showing me what it looks like to be a neighbor. These are the kind of people that our relationship with God is turning us into, all of us. These kinds of actions, small actions, small neighborly actions, these kinds of actions have deep and far-reaching effects. So I'm going to illustrate that at the end of our conversation today. These kinds of neighborly acts have deep and far-reaching effects. So we're three-fourths of the way through a series of conversations that we're calling the art of neighboring. And today we're going to look at a bizarre passage of scripture, uh, but a really awesome one. It's in Leviticus chapter 19, and I'd love for you to look along with me. So if you have a Bible on your phone or if you have a Bible with you, I'd love for you to look along with this. One quick note, as almost an aside, to set us up for reading this chapter. The word holiness, we've talked about this before at Gateway, but you may not remember, and if you're new to Gateway, you might not have heard at least me say this. The word holy, the Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew, and the Hebrew word for holy was kodesh. And there's really good evidence that that word kodesh derives from an even older word whose original meaning was cut. And that's appropriate because this word holy, really the primary thrust of it, the primary definition of holy is set apart, different, unique. That's why in the biblical context, they almost always use this word in religious or sacrificial or sacerdotal settings. Like if someone made an altar and they built it to be used in the temple, then they would do all kinds of elaborate things, including ceremonies, to set that altar apart, to, to make it different, to, to set it aside for solely God's purposes, for God's uses. That's kind of the idea behind holiness. The remarkable thing then is that the scripture constantly encourages us to be holy. So I really want you to hear this. One of the kind of seminal, most important commentaries written on the book of Leviticus, and it is a labor of love to write a commentary on the book of Leviticus, because if you haven't read it, it threatens to be boring on every page. But one of the most seminal commentaries written about the book of Leviticus was written by a New Testament scholar called Mark Rooker. And I want you to hear what he says about this chapter that we're about to read, because it's pretty epic. Rooker says this, This chapter, perhaps better than any other in the Bible, explains what it meant for Israel to be a holy nation. 
So all of this talk about holiness, this is what it means. He goes on. The chapter stresses the interactive connection, big language here, but you'll get it, between responsibility to one's fellow man and religious piety. So being religious and acting like a neighbor, this chapter connects those two, and then he adds this. These are the two dimensions of life that were never meant to be separated. So we're going to read Leviticus 19, and we're not going to be long this morning, and then we're going to be interactive. You'll hear in a second. But as you read through this chapter, as you listen to this chapter, I want you to hear three things. Who is our neighbor? That won't leap out at you, but I'll explain it to you. Secondly, why should we care? What's our motivation for being neighborly? Again, that won't leap out at you, but I think you'll get it once we dive in. And finally, and you'll get this one, how do we do this well? What does it look like to be a neighbor? And Leviticus gets as practical as you can get. So I want you to hear Leviticus chapter 19, verses 1 and 2. Then we're going to skip down to verse 9 and go 9 to 18 in a section that some Old Testament commentarians call the neighbor section. So listen to Leviticus 1 and 2. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. So if you want a title for everything in the book of Leviticus, really, if you want a title for everything in the Old Testament, okay, if you want a title for everything in the Bible, this is it. But certainly for this chapter, here's the title. Now it starts to dive into the specifics, beginning in verse 9, the neighbor section. Look, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. What? I am the Lord your God. Remember that. Hear that chorus as we go through this. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not deceive one another. Do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. And there's a good indication that that original language meant simply, don't say one thing and do another. Don't promise something that you don't follow through on. And certainly don't add God's name by God. Don't add God's name to that. Do what you say you're going to do. Do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God. I am the Lord. Do not pervert justice. Listen to this. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly, regardless of who they are. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly, so you will not share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Father, I pray that you would speak to us today through the exercises, through our time together. Open our hearts. You know, Lord, we thank you so much for the freedom that's ours to be here and to worship in a place like this and to do this. And we thank you for the people who have made that possible for us. More than that, we are reminded of the freedom that is ours because of what God did in Jesus Christ. 
And we pray for a deeper, richer experience of that today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So quickly, who's our neighbor? There was an apparent conflict about this question that revolved around this section of the scripture. Midrash is a a fancy word for old time, like two centuries before Jesus to three or four centuries after Jesus. They use this word for commentary on the Old Testament. So a midrashim was uh, comments that rabbis would make and sometimes arguments that rabbis would have about various questions. And they argued about this passage, who is our neighbor? And the conflict revolved around mostly these two verses. So if you look back at chapter 19, verse 10, it says, don't go over your vineyard second time, blah, blah, blah. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner, clearly suggesting that the foreigners, the aliens, are our neighbor. We're supposed to take care of them. And yet, chapter 19, verses 17 and 18 says, do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor, as if he's equating neighbor with fellow Israelites. So there was a real live question. Who is our neighbor? Who should we actually extend our care and compassion toward? Fortunately for us, Jesus cleared that up. We talked about it last week, and he spoke to this very question. In the story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus makes it clear, underscore this, and bold it perhaps in your mind, our neighbor is anyone near us in need. Our neighbor is anyone near us in need. So as we said last week, if we reserve our compassion and our kindness for those of our kind, those who believe like us, or those who look like us, or those people that we like, if we reserve our compassion and our kindness for our kind, then we are acting outside of God's will for us and God's heart within us. Jesus made that clear. Our neighbor is anyone near us in need, anyone. Okay, why care for our neighbor? Why act with kindness toward our neighbor? Why talk about the art of neighboring? Is this different from culture to culture? Come up, some of you have come to the United States. Some of you have come to Northern Virginia from different places. Is, is neighboring different? Okay, certainly some of the contours of it are different, but why? The why doesn't change no matter where you live. Why? What's the motivation for us being kind? Of course it's nice to be nice and kind, but what's our motivation? As I said, the answer to this question might not immediately leap out at you from this chapter. But I think if you read it carefully, you'll see it. It's buried in that phrase, I am the Lord. That's how the author punctuates each section of this passage. This phrase, I am the Lord, is used more in this chapter than anywhere in the Bible. Now, it isn't meant to introduce the congregation to someone they don't already know, obviously. He uses this phrase to remind them that the one giving the laws was holy and was the standard for their behavior and the foundation of their behavior. He's using that phrase to remind them that the one who's giving them these commands is holy and he's the standard for the behavior and he's the foundation for the behavior. So why be holy? Because I'm holy. Why behave this way and not some other way? Because I am the Lord and this is how I behave. That's his point. So that phrase, in a way, it kind of summarizes several key Old Testament ideas. And if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you'll be familiar with these ideas. They're all wrapped up in that phrase. Number one, God is holy, so be holy. Number two thing that he's kind of getting at here is fear the Lord. He even says that in this section. Number three, God is the judge and we shouldn't forget it. So that means, don't miss this, that means we don't treat our neighbors kindly because we want more friends. 
We don't meet the needs of those who are near us because we want people to think well of us. We don't even act this way. We don't even act neighborly because the people around us are in need and they need us to act kindly, although they do. That's not the primary motivation for us. We act kindly toward our neighbors because that's how holiness acts. We reach out toward our neighbors with God's love because we revere God and he created our neighbors. I'm going to circle that same territory one more time. We expend the energy it takes to be sensitive to our neighbor's needs and to meet those needs, one, because that's how God acts. And we are becoming more and more like God if we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And secondly, this is what God requires of us, and we want to do what he requires. Why are you getting so preachy about this, Ed? What's the big deal? It's a little boring. I'm making this point for two reasons, so I'm going to underscore it. Stay with me. Number one, I'm making the point because it's true. The motivation for us to be neighborly is God. Secondly, I'm making this point because we're the kind of people who get really caught up in ourselves and our own story. And we feel really good when we're doing good, and we feel really bad when we're doing bad. It's all about us, but it's not. This is not about us. This entire topic is secondarily about our neighbors. We're talking about the art of neighboring. And that topic is secondarily about our neighbors. It's primarily about God, who he is, and what he wants. I had lunch this week with someone who's fairly new at Gateway. He told me he wasn't going to be here today. He and his fiance are going to the beach. Then he said, I'm kind of getting into this religion thing at Gateway. Awesome, I said. In fact, a few months ago, my fiance and I started reading the Bible. Good for you, Bible man. He said, yeah, we start with Genesis, and we're in 2 Kings. Wow, that is, that is some heavy lifting. I mean, some of those sections can be like really boring, and he was super relieved to hear me say that. So then he had a couple of questions. So he asks some questions, great conversation, and I realize I need to say something to him. So I say, listen, there's something, you know, you need to know. If you had a legend at the beginning of the Bible that kind of sort of gives you some keys, let me tell you what one of the bullet points would be to that. And you need to know this as you're reading the story. This is super important. The hero of the section of the Bible that you've just read is not Moses. The hero of the section of the Bible that you've just read is not King David. The hero of the section of the Bible that you've just read and the rest of it that you're going to read is God. The Bible is a unique document, profoundly unique among ancient Near Eastern texts, in that it is very honest about the failings and the foibles of its heroes. We don't get the picture that anybody is getting it exactly right much of the time. That's because it's true, and it's because the hero is God. We act with kindness toward our neighbors because that's what God does. And he lives in us. And we act with kindness toward our neighbors because that's how God wants to move in the universe. And he's using us. It's not about us. It's not even about our neighbor. It's about God. How do we do this? Let's just summarize what we just read in Leviticus. How do we neighbor well? Leviticus spells it out very practically. Let's just line them out, just like the author of Leviticus did. Okay, so first, 
We go out of our way to be generous to our neighbors in need. We go out of our way. We leave the edges of our field unharvested intentionally. And we leave the extras that were dropped on the ground. We don't go back and pick them up intentionally. We go out of our way to be generous. Secondly, we tell our neighbors the truth. We don't deceive them. We don't say one thing and do another. Or or we don't refuse or forget to follow through on what we've said. Three, we don't take anything from our neighbor. And we don't hold back anything from them that we owe them. Four, we don't take advantage of them if they are disabled in any way. Five, we act with justice toward our neighbor, evenly and without favoritism. That includes we don't disadvantage the wealthy. We treat everyone even-handedly, especially when it comes to technical or legal matters. Next, we don't spread rumors about our neighbors, and we don't say anything untrue about them anywhere. Next, we don't do anything that endangers their life. Next, we don't hold a grudge against our neighbors ever for anything, even if they chopped a tree down and knocked our fence out. In summary, we love our neighbors as we love ourselves. That's how we do this. That's as practical as it gets. But I also want you to notice that these dictates are not just about behavior. We're about to get to the interactive part. It's not just about our behavior. These dictates touch on our internal operations as well. For example, God is concerned about how we feel about our neighbor. We are not to hate them, according to verse 17. We are not to bear a grudge, according to verse 18. Plus, we are to make the right kinds of plans on behalf of our neighbor. We are to plan on behalf of our neighbor. We are not to put, for example, a stumbling block in front of a blind person because they'll fall over it and break their arm. We are to be more thoughtful than that. We're to plan ahead to accommodate their handicap. But finally, and don't miss this, we're supposed to organize or strategize about how to help our neighbors. There's so much forethought. It's not just what we're trying to avoid. It's what we're proactively doing for our neighbors. Verse 9 reads this. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. This takes planning. This has to be communicated to the harvesters. They have to know the rules of how we and our field are going to harvest our field. It's strategic. We're thinking ahead about our neighbors in need, and we're strategizing and organizing our life so that we can help our neighbors, our, our co-workers or our, our sports team or our literal home neighborhood. We will need to strategize about our neighbors if we're going to be God's instrument of caring for them. Okay, I had a group of people who helped me kind of think through and talk through what some of these conversations should be about and how we might be able to help us do better at this business of being neighbors because remember, we are freakishly busy And we we often don't even have time to be decent neighbors. So our first two conversations, I have encouraged you at the end of our conversation, hey, pray for your neighbors. And some of you have done that. Many of us have forgotten. But it's not too late. We're going to take an additional step today of kind of organizing and strategizing about our neighbors. Is this a gimmick? Yes, it is. But it's a gimmick that will help us organize and strategize. So in your program that you got this morning, you were handed out with it a half sheet that says the art of neighboring across the top and then it's blank. I want you to take that out now and we're going to use it. Dean, let's go to the Ed's map. I want you to take that out now and I want you to map your neighborhood. 
This can be where you live. It can be, your, again, your sports team, or it can be where you work. I want you to map your neighborhood. Let me walk you through this. This is my neighborhood. I haven't drawn in the street, but uh, that's my cul-de-sac. The asterisk is our house. I've just listed initials, and I've, I've listed how many kids they have. Two doors away from me toward the top of the cul-de-sac is Jan and Marianne Zacharias. Some of you know them, obviously. My street needs a lot of prayer. Right next to them is Mike and Marianne Cannon. Lots of prayer needed on my street. Both of those families go to Gateway. Other than that, they do not. I don't know where some of these families are in terms of faith, A, and B. I've got a couple of question marks for people I don't even know. That's my street. Go to the next slide, Dean. This is my workplace. These people need a ton of prayer. That's me at the bottom, Ed. And then there's Terry Eagle and Rhonda Jessup, Aaron and Lee. Crystal Dennis is cut off at the top of the page. Alex over to the left. Lots of prayer needed there. That's a map of my workplace. Go to the last slide, Dean. This is, of course, overachieving Sarah. This is her cul-de-sac. Sarah, what have you done here? I had fun on my computer. And so the, um, the colors are actually important because those are, um, I did it kind of color-coded as to how well I think I know my neighbors. And so the red and the orange are the ones that I feel like I need to get to know better. And then as you get closer to my house, which is the yellow one, the purple I know very well because we shovel driveways together and things like that. The ones with outlines have kids that are around my children's ages. And hopefully, as we get through this art of neighboring, I hope to go ahead and meet some more of these neighbors and show them God's love as well. So, so you have 57 and a half seconds. I want you to take out your half of a piece of paper, and I want you to begin to map whatever neighborhood you want to map, where you live or where you work or where you sport. I want you to take a few minutes right now and begin to map your neighborhood. Go. The idea behind this, obviously, is to just get you thinking and to motivate you to pray for the people that live around you or work around you or leisure around you. All right. While you're wrapping up, you don't have to finish. Just get as far as you can. I want to add one other activity to the exercise. We also thought that it could be helpful to have something to give to our neighbors. Now, you can bake cookies or make a pot roast. You can make something to take to your neighbor. That, that would be great. But we thought that we would give that a little bit of help. Three weeks ago, I think, we had our kids' town kids in the back plant seeds of basil and lettuce in the small egg cartons that you brought in. So thank you. So what we're recommending is that you go outside after the service and grab a set of seedlings and take them to a neighbor. And I don't care what you say. Hi, my name is Ed. You won't say that, but hi, my name is Ed. And my church is giving these out and I thought of you and just wanted to hand you one. You and I don't even know one another that well. And it's my way of introducing myself to you. If you're bolder, you can take one over and you can say, you know, God loves you and I don't want you to go to hell one day, so <laughs> don't do that. 
But you know, take one of them and find a way to at least introduce yourself to your neighbor or do something on your own. We also, next week, are going to make some packets with the seeds in them so that you can plant your own. If, Sarah, what would you add? What do we got here? Um, if you have one that you want to cut up to, you can give them individually. You can cut the egg cartons pretty easily. So you can give them out to multiple neighbors. Okay. Yes, let's give Sarah a hand. Okay. All right, at the risk of utter confusion, I want to try one more exercise. So we're going to move for this exercise. But please keep your maps, if you would, because I, I seriously, I want you to use that as a mechanism to be thinking about your neighbors. We're going to get into our neighborhoods. So follow me if you can, and I'll do the best I can to explain this. If you live east of Pleasant Valley, so think of going east on 50. So if you're east of Pleasant Valley, I want you to gather over here and sit down. If you are north of 50, I want you over here in the blue section. If you're in South Riding or the neighborhoods right around it, then I want you in the green section toward the front and filtering back. If you're in Stone Ridge and the neighborhood's down Gum Spring, this section. If you're west on 50, the back left. And if I didn't catch you, if you're Manassas or Haymarket, or if you're visiting from Wyoming, or I didn't mention where you are, then back right. Kind of got where you're supposed to be. All you need to remember is where you're supposed to be. Okay, stand up and go. So look around you. This is roughly who lives near you. All right, we're going to try a prayer exercise. Now, I know some of you have gotten nervous already. Don't worry about it. But what I want us to do is to pray for our neighborhoods. We're going to begin today by praying for where we live. We also need to be praying and thinking about where we work. But I want us to pray for our neighborhoods. You'll stand up in a second. Just circle up with a group of people. And I'd love for someone in the circle to volunteer to pray. Don't pray long. And then I'll close this in prayer in a second. So I want you to pray for the courage to speak. I want you to pray for opportunities to meet need. I want you to pray for sensitivity that God would show you the need and then opportunities to meet that need. Because these are the people that God is making us to be, these kind of people that we're talking about, these examples. Father, thank you so much for the kinds of people that you are making us into. I pray that you would touch our hearts with the things that touch your heart, and I pray that you would give us the courage to step into spaces where we're meeting need and we're sharing your life and your love with others. Make us those kind of people. Thank you that you've provided places for us to live, places for us to work. Help us to be your hands and your feet and your eyes and your voice in those places and at school with our friends at school. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let me wrap up. I don't know what made me this morning think of this. Diane is my wife, but I thought of this, Diane, when I saw you guys circling around and praying. When Diane and I built our home, we didn't build a deck on the back. And we had a little grill in the back. So, you know, Diane is 
a foot shorter than I am, so whenever Diane would be the one to grill, she'd have to step out of our back like that, and somebody was at our house one night watching Diane risk her life and limb hopping out. Whenever I pick up a hammer, Diane used to grab the children and run. And one day, guys, part of our church, Jeff DeJanney, heard about this. He just went out somewhere and found an extra set of stairs and brought a couple of men over and attached some stairs to our, the back of our house without saying anything. The number of acts like that that this room has done for us are almost countless. Acts of neighboring, caring. Thank you. Good and life-giving neighbors are the kinds of people that our relationship with God is turning us into. And these kinds of actions have far-reaching and deep effects. So I want to end with a couple of stories to illustrate that. I don't know if you've heard of the $93 Club. It all started at a Trader Joe's store in Menlo Park, California in the summer of 2009. A woman named Jenny Ware was standing at a checkout counter and she couldn't find her wallet. So Carolee Hazard saw that Jenny Ware wasn't going to be able to pay the bill, so she offered up the $207 that Ware needed to buy the items in her cart. The next day, Hazard received a thank you card and a check in the mail for $300. In the card's note, Ware suggested that Hazard use the extra $93 to get a massage. But Hazard didn't need a massage. She felt she needed to do something else with the money. Unable to come up with any good ideas, she turned to her Facebook friends, asking them what she should do with the extra cash. And one of her friends suggested that she give the money to the Second Harvest Food Bank of Silicon Valley. Hazard liked the idea, so she matched the $93 with her own money and sent a check to the Second Harvest Bank for $186, 93 plus 93. But the giving didn't stop there. And more and more people heard about Hazard's gift. And the $93 Club was born on Facebook. This grassroots movement encourages people to give to the Second Harvest Food Bank. Just for fun, folks give in the amounts of either $93 or 93 cents. Get this. In the year that followed, 2009 and 2010, what started as a simple act of kindness to help one stranger in one little grocery store has led to others giving more than $150,000 to combat hunger. These kinds of acts have far-reaching effects. They also have deep effects. Tim Winton is Australia's most celebrated novelist today. Some of you may have read Tim Winton before. He's author of more than a dozen best-selling books and winner of numerous literary prizes. Winton resides on the coast of Western Australia where he lives with his family. He was interviewed on an American ABC show by a guy named Andrew Denton. I don't know who Denton is. At one point, the conversation turned to Winton's well-known Christian faith. I want to talk about faith, said Denton. When you were, I think, about five, a stranger came into your family and affected your family quite profoundly. Is that right? Tim went and went on to tell Denton how his father, who'd been a policeman, had been in a terrible accident in the mid-1960s, knocked off his motorcycle by a drunk driver after weeks in a coma. He was allowed to go home and went and said he remembers thinking, oh, he's an altered version of my father, a sort of augmented version. He was 
unrecognizable, not really my dad, you know? Everything was busted up, and they put him in the chair, and, you know, here's your dad. And I was horrified. Wynton's father was a big man, and Mrs. Wynton had great difficulty bathing him each day. There was nothing that Tim, five-year-old at the time, could do to help. News of the family situation got out in the local community, and shortly afterwards, Wynton recalls, his mother got a knock at the door from a neighbor. Oh, good day. My name's Lynn. I heard your hubby's a bit ill. Anything I can do? Lynn Thomas was from the local church, went and explained. This man had heard about the family's difficulties and wanted to help. He just showed up. And he used to carry my dad from bed and put him in the bath, and he used to bathe him, which in the 1960s in Australia in the suburbs was not the sort of thing you saw every day. According to Wenton, this simple act of kindness from a single Christian had a powerful effect. Quote, it really touched me in that watching a grown man bother for nothing to show up and wash a sick man, you know, it really affected me. This strangely sacrificial act, as he described it, was the doorway into the Christian faith for the entire Wenton family and Wenton's testimony to tens of thousands subsequently. These kinds of simple acts can have far-reaching and deep, deep effects. And these are the kind of people that God's work in our life is turning us into. All right, go be neighborly. Let's pray. Lord, help us to recognize who our neighbor is and help us to act out of your spirit with your compassion and your kindness, with your heart and your hands and being your energy and then multiply our efforts. In the strong name of Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. This is how we Oh,